This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. G'day guys, welcome to Awesome Humans COVID-19 edition. I'm your host, Brett McCallum, and during this difficult time, we're trying to bring you the biggest and brightest humans we can off this amazing planet of ours. We're trying to give you some stories to keep you entertained whilst you're all locked away in isolation. Today's one's going to be an absolute ripper, so I really hope you do enjoy it. In today's COVID-19 special edition of Awesome Humans, I'm joined by David Thorpe. David is a professional snowboarder, having completed in the FIS World Tour in his earlier years before starting his own action sport event company in 1999. The Malibu Just Ride Tour. The tour is the longest running wakeboard coaching and free ride tour in Australia. Since then, David has been running wakeboarding and snowboarding events all around the world. Aside from his snowboarding career, David became the director of sales and marketing for Malibu Boats for around about a 10-year period up to 2018. I'm sure there's lots more to this story. That was a pretty lame introduction, so I do apologise for that. But welcome, David Thorpe. How are you, brother? G'day, mate. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Mate, the stories I hear about you are much much more better than that. Much well, more they, better. That's good well, English, isn't it? Well, they're probably uh, they're probably a little bit more vibrant if uh, if, <laughs> if if my old uh, sparring partner Steve Dart um, told you any of them. But yeah, um, yeah, he has, mate. He let me in on a few, so I'm looking forward to hearing them from you. Oh, he's a good man. He's a good man. Yeah, mate. Dart is one of God's gentlemen. He's one of those blokes that uh, he does everything for everyone else. He's just uh, he's just an absolute legend of a fella. No, he is. He's a fantastic guy, and it's great to see him, uh, I guess, launch padding himself into something of, him, of his own. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and I think he'll do uh, he'll do really well. You know, you can always take the boy out of Frankston, but um, he, certainly, <laughs> uh, he certainly shined very brightly, you know. Yeah, he's doing all right. Mate, the way I always start these is going back to the very beginning and asking what, yep. what, what your first ever memory is. How far back can you go? Well, I, you know, I I reckon my first memory, uh, funnily enough, is is family holidays. Um, it's probably not not unlike many people, but um, yeah, just being in the being in the wagon, uh, you know, boosting up down to uh, Phillip Island uh, with my parents. Phillip Island was a pretty happy place. My grandparents were down that way, and uh, you know, we were. My dad was a bit of a bushy. Um, he grew up like my mother did on the Victorian coastline, and uh, but my dad and mum got married. Uh, they uh, moved north. My dad went up north to teach uh, and coach the Aboriginals um, football AFL, and um, which is obviously the real game. And yeah, of course, um, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, got it, got it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, mum and dad went up there in the uh, in the early seventies. Uh, so that makes me pretty old. So I was born in '72 in a little place called Tennant Creek, uh, in the in the NT. Um, so I have a, a very strong uh, affiliation with the Aboriginals, and um, it was a. It, I think it's just an important part that's been stamped in me, probably from uh, not even knowing uh, myself really from an early days. Can't remember much of that time, but yeah, definitely. Being in the wagon and, and so, what was there. the wagon? Was it old Sandman or something? 
No, 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 Dad wasn't that cool, mate. It was just a <laughs> just a station wagon. So uh, he was a school teacher. So uh, yeah, nothing too vibrant with um, <laughs> nude nude women on it or anything like that. I don't think Mum would have had that. But um, yeah, Phillip Island was a was a cool place. And uh, being down that coastline to me, it just felt uh, you know coming from uh, up in Echuca, uh on the Murray River where we were. Um, you know, going down there, there was racetracks, there was motorcycles, um, you know, the beach time, learning to surf, I guess, with uncles around. And uh, I, I was probably the only surfer to ever grow up, uh, you know, on the Murray River that, you know, could actually ride a wave and, and love <laughs> surfing. But it, but it was something I was always drawn to, probably not as much as the mountains. Um, there was something special up there. And, um, yeah, I guess from that point of life, uh, you know, I had a uh, my auntie, uh, my uncle. Uh, they ran a place up at Falls Creek uh, in Victoria on the in the ski fields. Uh, a place called the Man. That uh, was quite a famous uh, restaurant, bar, pizza, nightclub. Yeah, it was called the Man. And so uh, I bet your, your uncle named that, obviously. No, he did it. He did it, but uh, it was it made it's an infamous place. It's still going. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah, the pizzas are probably better. Uh, I don't know about the, I don't know about the music, but um, the carpet's been changed. But uh, yeah, early memories there, you know, family holidays, um, and really being introduced to that world of, of snow skiing and, and snowboarding with my cousin Stuart. Uh, he definitely had the place wired. He was living up there. He knew everyone, Stuart. Um, and when your dad, uh, uncle's the publican, well, uh, you know, you, the doors open quite wide. I'm sure um, they do. I'm sure they do. It's actually quite handy having family that's in the snowfields, isn't it? It was. Well, it was good, and it was <laughs> nice for us. It was something different. I think you know, coming from humble, uh, humble groundings there, uh, you know, the snow is a very expensive place, and I don't think I would have ever been able to to do it really um, if it wasn't for my uncle uh, David being up there and introducing me to so many people, and that's where I fell in love with it. Um, you know, I. You joined the Falls Creek Race Club and years later and that's when things started to become a, a bit more serious. Um, you know, it probably wasn't until uh, I wound up school um, and convinced my parents to let me go to Melbourne uh, to university and uh, doing start an engineering cadetship with uh, what was Australian Airlines. Not many people would remember them. But, no, back uh, in the day, hey? Yeah, yeah, Australian Airlines. So they were the original TAA. So I went down there to university, uh, to RMIT, and I did an engineering cadetship. Um, so off I was there. I was in Melbourne. And, um, you know, once a licence came along and, you know, a little bit of money. Changes for you. Yeah, yeah, life changed, you know. And, um, and where did I want to go? Well, I wanted to go up the mountains as much as I could. Um, you know, one thing led to another, I guess, in between university and work um, and then, uh, you know, going up over the snow seasons, trying to bunk a, bunk a bed anywhere and, and get to every race meet that was on between the Victorian ski fields and New South Wales. So what were you um, doing back then? Were you skiing? Were you snowboarding? What was no, that? I was snowboarding. I, I, I skied for a little bit, um, but probably because we were mad skaters uh, and surfers, I guess. Skiing just didn't appeal. My cousin was a good skier um, and there was plenty around. I just liked the snowboarding. It was uh, it was just there was no one doing it. Um, I was just saying, um, back then you would have been um, the sort of... The, the we weren't even... Breaking you, the rules. We weren't even allowed on the chairlift. 
Yeah, that's right. You weren't even allowed on the chairlift. So, um, you know, you had all sorts of mountain management, uh, you know, getting involved and saying you couldn't do that and couldn't do this. But as time went on, you know, things changed. It got a little bit more respected. And um, I was probably early uh, to go over to New Zealand. Uh, I went over there quite early and did a lot of racing, a lot of downhill racing. And then from that... So, so talk me through that. How's that happened? So you, you're a young bloke. You jump on a... You, you've been surfing. You've been skating. Yep. Like, I've only snowboarded a few times. I, I ski. But, um, yes, yeah, yeah. like, I've ridden skateboards all my life, and it's complete opposite to snowboarding. It, it is, yeah. Yeah, and it that, was. That was the bizarrest thing. I actually found I was a better snowboarder than I was a uh, skater. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think and that's I, my fat gut, to tell you the truth. But <laughs> bit of momentum. Lean forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a bit of momentum. Yeah, I think um, snowboarding was definitely in its infancy. Um, you know, you could, you, the wide world web had not, um, the wide world web had not really sur- surfaced. Yeah. Um, you were living on magazines that the that the that the industry supplied. Um, you know, probably because my uncle had the man there at Falls Creek. He had a lot of uh, ski instructors come over from yeah. you know the US and Canada. Um, they would bring magazines. It was really it was really uh, funky. It was a different world, isn't it? Our kids would never see that. It was was wild. They'll never see it. You know, you'd be waiting to get one of these magazines. It was like the Holy Grail um, to get one of these snowboard magazines from the States, and you would literally just read it from back to back. I mean, the skateboard mags were like that as well. I mean, you know. They all were back then. I I used to bodyboard when I was a kid. And yesterday on Facebook I saw a a Amore boogie board TV (laughs) commercial from 1985. And there you, you go. Yeah, you don't yeah. see that stuff anymore. You don't even see surfing ads or any no. sort of stuff. Like I grew up watching Big Wednesday and like all these yes. really cold surfing movies. Yeah, I don't know when the last time I saw a surfing movie was actually on. No, well, I mean, it, and it was. I mean, it was primitive back then. I mean, it, it really was primitive. That that's the word I would explain. And skateboarding was, you know, getting into its straps. You know, I was watching. You know, my friends, the Hill Brothers. They they were. They were doing things um, with their brands and their business. We, you know, way back when they started Globe and their original, uh, you know, hardcore and diehard business. Skateboarding was growing. Snowboarding was really at, at it at its at a rawness. And um, you know, I think my first uh, my first trip to the United States was um, in about nineteen. So nineteen ninety four was my first trip over. And, um, so when did you finish school? What year was that? Yeah, so I finished school in 89, 90, and I yep. started started uni. And um, probably one of the biggest birthrights that uh, was I was unknowing about was that when I, when I started with Australian Airlines, um, we would receive cheap flights. Oh, nice. And, and everyone in the industry, obviously, in the flight industry knew about this, but uh, that was really the last thing on my mind. Um, was cheap flights, you know. I, I, I didn't know that, and um, so once I kind of opened the can up on these uh, on these flights to, you know, the Los Angeles and places. What like sort that. of money would that have cost you back then to go to LA? Oh, look, I mean, with the airline industries going bust all around us, I, I don't have a problem telling you, but I, I think my first flight to Los Angeles cost about three hundred and sixty dollars return. Wow. Obviously, yeah, obviously would fly standby. Um, yeah. I was t- I was telling someone the other day it used to cost forty dollars to fly to to Denver, you know. Um, 
<laughs> so it, it was a it was a cool time. So you know, I was lucky. Um, you know, I would have a decent amount of holidays and um, you know whatever I could else wangle, I suppose, out of my shifts and my time. I would I would get over to do as many training days as I could I'd get over to the Californian mountains mainly and uh and I guess once I qualified onto what was the you know the world cup um you know like the the pro tour of surfing or tennis you, you would basically follow event after event so how does that work young bloke from from Victoria yeah and, uh, you, you're there you're having a crack you're, you're doing your cadet ship and then yes. off the top of that you're obviously not a bad snowboarder and yep. then do you think, oh, actually, I could have a crack at this, so I'm going to become a pro? I, I, don't, I don't think I ever really got up out of bed and went, like, I'm going to be a professional at, at snowboarding. I just kind of thought after a few trips over there and meeting a few of the guys and, and racing them, I was like, it was more like, I can beat these guys. Um, <laughs> they're not that fast, you know. Like, they, their board setups were, were different, Um they were riding boards different. They were riding boards very Euro style. Um, I think the Americans were, you know, trying to put a bit of style into into slope styles and downhill and slalom. Um, they were getting more speed out of boards. Board manufacturing started to go to a different level. You know, the constructions and materials they were using, skis started to change, bindings got better. Um, you know, the next minute, you were wrapped up in this world of of competition snowboarding and um and I was lucky I picked up a few sponsors um you know along the way I rode for sim snowboards and I was with Carrera eyewear and then I was with Boe and then I you know got picked up by a couple of cool brands like Dragon and and I ended what up they do they just offer you stuff or do they pay you oh, yeah look back then I mean you would get you would get more gear than uh, you would get more uh, gear than than cash um, I was lucky that I could keep working and um, you know keep earning money when I came home um, which was good once I qualified and work became full-time and I went over to Qantas uh, and I had a full-time position with Qantas. I applied for some extended leave um, so I could do that through the through the off-season to get me over to the US uh, and Europe and, um, yeah, and that was it. So for six or seven years, I just gave it a real red-hot crack. And, and how'd and, you go? Oh, look, I mean, I had some good, I had some good top ten finishes um, yeah. and a couple of top eights. Um, but I never really stamped stamped down anything I, I think of significance, not into top five. Um, but I was happy with what I did considering, you know, with where I was and the positioning I was. There was other Aussies that were, were starting to kind of, you know, come onto the, onto the tour. I ventured off into doing, uh, you know, a lot of free ride trips um, and a lot of magazine stuff. And was there money in it back then? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it was definitely before what I call the energy drink changeover. Uh, um, I was probably the first uh, guy uh, in Australia, as far as a snowboarder went, um, to actually get picked up by Red Bull um, back nice in the sponsor. day. 
yeah, and, and that was a good sponsor, um, but not so much for money, but more for just the way they did things. Um, they are a whole new level, you know, um, <laughs> and, and the guy that originally had Red Bull um, and brought it to Australia was a guy called Joseph Robber, and he was a guy out of New Zealand, and he was a distributor of Red Bull, but he had the power behind Red, he had the power with Red Bull behind him, and when he lumped into Australia I'd met him in New Zealand and uh, from that point on uh, you know they became a good partner Um, and I always tended to look at sponsors more as partners um, than than just sponsors I I always found sponsors were it was a funny word you know I, I always just used to say oh yeah look they're my partner and this is what we're trying to do and I was lucky and uh you know the Hill Brothers at Globe and uh you know people like Wayne Ritchie down in Victoria that had all the retail stores down there Wayne became a very big supporter and and helped me a lot um and you know when so you still living in Victoria at the time uh yeah I always stayed in Victoria um Mm. I, I would go back over to um the U.S. Um, I did have times of living in the US, um, but I always longed to come home. Yep. Um, it, it was a rat race, um, you know, where we were in some of the parts of LA um, because we would just find that LA was easier to be based and plus you'd just get in too much trouble over there, Brett. You just, you, <laughs> you needed to come home. Um, you could you never come keep, dry out. Yeah, you could never keep a girlfriend. <laughs> that wouldn't matter what you were doing. You were doing the wrong thing, but um but I think, yeah, I, I mean, to be around uh, that time, uh, that pioneer time, and then to come back to Australia and go and come home to a mountain there, uh, it was, you know, you were starting to watch it grow. Um, yeah. well, and, that's the thing. You must have seen it from early on when there was only oh, you on the slopes. So oh, totally. starting to become yeah. sort of cult-worthy. But it's really oh, interesting. Yeah. So on the tour when you first started, yes. what sort of money would the winner get? Oh, look, a winner would get anywhere from probably 10 to 15K. Yeah. Um, you know, that would probably be the prize pool and then it would be broken down. So that would be winners. So there might have been a 15K purse. So there wasn't um, massive money in it at the no, time? No, not at all. And then we literally saw it grow from, you know, 30K purses right through to 150K purses. Yeah. So, um, you know, it became quite good. And then obviously, again, like tennis, you know, if you seeded and if you qualified and if you made it through to the semis, you would always, you know, earn a little bit of a lick, uh, enough that might have paid for your flights or would have helped you get there to compete. But, um, yeah, it was an exciting time. We saw other tours uh, evolve, the TTR tour evolved, which was part of the A. I think it was a part of the ASP back then, the pro tour of surfing, like the TTR yeah. tour started. Um, one of the biggest things that happened to snowboarding was, um, I guess, that border cross style started, which has now uh, made its way into the Olympics. Uh, yeah, I saw in, that's that's where they actually race and yeah. sort of beat each other up on the way down. That's right, yeah. And mm. border cross was really exciting because that had more of a motocross feel to it, um, you know, through the bumps, through the jumps, through the loops. And it basically, you know, you you were out there with a, with a group of guys on a start grid. Um, and, um, yeah, that was, they were great times. I loved the border cross because when that came along, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, you could bump and shove and it became exciting. And Back to the AFL days, eh? It was a bit like that. It was a bit like, a bit like uh, yeah, footy at Pecola, which is where I played a bit of footy. Not many people will know where Pecola and Nathalia is, but, uh, 
yeah, big shout out to those those old days. But um, yeah, like you definitely, um, you know, hit and miss tactics out on the field. You know, and you were watching all of these these uh, disciplines of snowboarding evolve while they were still trying to work out how do we put rules on these things. I mean, is the guy allowed to bump a guy into a corner? Is he is he allowed to bump a guy off the start grid? Um, you know, I you remember sitting there in rider briefings going, well, are we allowed to bump? Are we allowed to sh-? – or, you know, what's the di- – I remember an American guy saying, you know, what's the difference between a bump and a shove? You know, and I'm like, well, you know, a bump is a bump and a and a shove is a push. We call it a push. You know, I'm like, and I remember telling these American judges, you know, it's like a push in the back. Uh, you know, in our sport of football, you couldn't push a guy in the back. and But in gridiron, well, you can push and shove anywhere. So, yeah, definitely some funny, some, uh, funny conversations over the period of um, – you know, rules and establishing rules of border cross. So to see it kind of envelope into an Olympic sport. That's is, pretty cool, isn't it? It is pretty cool. So, uh, yeah. And I like, suppose with snowboarding, you, you sort of haven't got the old people that, oh, you you can't do that. So, you know what no. I mean? Like well, with skiing and, and even surfing to a point, like yeah. the old school guys are sitting there, you know, but no, you can't do that because that's cheating or whatever it is. Because yes. snowboarding sort of, it's still pretty new. It's only what 30, 40 years old. But yes. at the same time, like things like border cross and that, they can pretty much make up shit. Yeah, oh, and we were, you know, <laughs> and, and the push and the shove rule was a was a classic one of that. Um, you know, many snowboarders now, modern snowboarders, I mean, guys that I still catch up with a bit, they'll still laugh about the push and the shove. And, <laughs> you know, some of those stories of, you know, trying to explain Americans the difference between a push and a shove. You know, uh, you know, it's like looking under the hood or looking under the bonnet. But exactly, um, they're wearing yeah. a thong. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, what's a thong? But, so, you, um, so you, you go on tour. You're on there what for seven years? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so you'd you'd spend about. I'd fly back and forth a lot, obviously, thanks to uh, Qantas. Um, but I I tended not to live over there like a lot of guys would. Um, so my time on the snow was probably uh, a lot less than. Um, you know what what it could have been mm-hmm. um, but I think you know because my father Paul was a, a school teacher he always said you need to you know finish the qualifications and I think I was able to uh, in some kind of way be a little bit humbled there and and make sure I just kept working yeah. um, you know not not that that those tra- those qualifications really were something I've taken later on in the life because I mean uh, yeah I mean at this point in time, you know, we're watching the airline industry go through some massive changes and, uh, you know, sad days for a lot of friends that I went to university with and, you know, have done so much studying and so much qualifications, you know, to be aeronautical engineers or to be, you know, licensed aircraft engineers. Uh, I really take my hat off to those guys. Um, you know, I would often, you know, I'm sure they always looked at me and said, oh, Thorpe, you've had the life and, and you've done this and that. And I'm like, but, you know, still, uh, you know, the way an aircraft always got off the ground, there was a time there where obviously I went and learnt to fly an aircraft and, you know, I, I still love to get up every now and again and have a bit of a play on the controls and and get up there in the clouds. But, um, yeah, I mean, when you're in it every day, they they those guys, you really, really will never – um, unless you've been in that industry, understand just how smart those guys are, you know, to yeah. keep those aircraft, anything that big that can get oh, off exactly. the ground and it's fly. Insane. Yeah, and fly all the way. And, yeah, and it doesn't matter whether you're sitting up there at 35 plus thousand feet, 
um, even in a new Dreamliner, as we all probably have, or not everyone, but yeah. if you've been lucky enough, you've only really got to sit back in the middle of your wine and your, and your nice movie and <laughs> maybe click over to that map and go far out, you know, <laughs> where am I? Yeah, you exactly. know, oh, it's amazing, you know, and you're sitting in something that's been made, you know, come over to Australia, you know, what Qantas have done is amazing. So, yeah, anyway, but that's... Uh, so they yeah, helped that, out a lot during that process, during those oh, years? Oh, look, I don't I mean, I think if I was a tennis player, Brett, I might have got a bit more help. And you might, <laughs> But I think most people looked at long-haired, dreadlocked snowboarders back then and went, how's this guy even, you know, got exactly. a job and why do we keep giving him a job? But, you know, it was it was the support they gave me and the ability to be able to, to do what I did with snowboarding was was unreal and, um, you know, I, I've always remained loyal to them even to this day. So, um, well, yeah. it's only one to fly with at the moment, so. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Good loyalty. Well, it's good loyalty to have anyway for what it's in worth. That, but, but yeah, I, th- I think as snowboarding started to wean down and, you know, knees and backs, there were definitely plenty of injuries along the way. And What's your worst one? Oh, I think, I mean, look, the worst one probably people would tell you I'm still, I'm still carrying today and that's knocking my teeth out. Um, and I did it, and I don't know why, but I did it. Uh, my best friend did it at school, uh, Jason Hicks. He put his knee through my mouth at football. That was nice. And, um, yeah, and I think once he did that, I was never going to have good teeth, especially after my mother had paid all the money for braces back then. Oh. I, I remember sitting in the back of the family, uh, the family Kingswood wagon, going from uh, Nathalia, St Mary's of the Angels Catholic College, all the way to a country town called Shepparton, which was a, is a bigger rural town where my dentist was. And, uh, and I can remember holding my tooth, uh, you know, and the other one just I could feel it in my mouth. Um, and that was then. After that was snowboarding. I never felt anything like that. It was usually just a quick, short, sharp whack. Um, helmets, oh, came, yeah, helmets came along. Um, that that stopped a lot of it. Um, but somehow, yeah, my knee did get uh, intertwined with my teeth um, twice in snowboarding. Which, did you uh, find when the helmets came along that um, you went harder? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it was. I think as helmets came along. Goggles got better. I mean, now everyone wears a helmet on the snowfield. It's a trendy thing to have. So, and they've made it statutory in some resorts, I believe, around the world. And you know, I've got a four-year-old Evie and and a and a two-year-old Aura. I mean, Evie is Evie's been up there since she was two. She's got a helmet. Everyone has a helmet, you know. So, um, I think it's just a nice thing. We definitely haven't seen that in. I, I never saw that happen in wakeboarding. It, it's happened in wakeboarding in the slider park scenarios and the yeah. cable parks, um, but not out riding behind a boat. But, um, yeah, injury-wise, yeah, right knee and teeth. So that's not too bad. That's not too um, bad. Bro. I've had a few knockouts. Uh, I think I've had four, four or five good knockouts. Um, but other than that, yeah, pretty good, pretty normal. I'm, I can still, <laughs> I can still do most things, so I'm, I'm okay. Except crack a real nice smile because I never got my teeth really fixed. I could just never part with that money for the dentist. So, well, I, you, obviously, uh, you obviously did all right and picked up a missus. Yeah, I did. <laughs> she might have felt sorry for me, Miley. She's a <laughs> she's a beautiful Queensland girl, so uh, I think they just feel sorry for you in the end. So I tell think- me that story. Where did your Miley meet? Yeah, Miley and I met uh, up on the Sunshine Coast. She, uh, when I was, well, not, uh, yeah, yeah, my, she was working for my uh, cousin 
And uh, my cousin, Andrea, was married to a pro surfer at the time, a guy called Sasha Stocker. And, uh, yeah, my, they had a little store at a place called Cotton Tree, a little clothing shop. And, Great spot. Uh, yeah, Miley was um, – Andrea had always sworn me off, any of her friends. Uh, <laughs> I did used to go up the Sunshine Coast and just think, wow, this place is unbelievable, you know. Um, beautiful girls, nice weather, you know, coming out of Victoria. And, um, yeah, Miley was in the shop one day. So, yeah, I got yakking with her and we ended up going for a surf and we had we just used to catch up and go for a surf. And I think I did a few little trips up there from Melbourne where I was at the time. And uh, and then one time – but originally, uh, I guess in answer to your question, when I first met her was we were up there and, I, and I'd had the – Malibu just ride to her and we'd just done a coaching clinic up there and um, she came my cousin asked her to come out in the boat with us and we went out for a bit of a wakeboard on the Maroochee River um, and uh, Andrea brought uh, Miley along and um, yeah you, and you actually magic, one, eh? well actually one of the riders who Miley always says one of the riders who remained nameless he was trying quite hard <laughs> to to get a conversation going and I, I couldn't actually get a word in but um Anyway, yeah, I ended up must have done something right because she wanted to go for a surf. But that was early days of the of the of the just ride tour, and I suppose yeah, to wind it back a little bit. I mean, I'd obviously started to run some snow events. Yep. Um, I'd done a lot with my sponsors, a lot of demo days, and a lot of ride days, and a lot of coaching days. I found that was a great way to to give value to your sponsors. Um, I guess that's when I learnt the craft of trade shows and things like that. And I, and I guess I really started to come into my straps a little bit by doing a lot of trade shows, a lot of setting up booths with the sponsors and started to go, wow, this is, you know, this is cool. I like this. Um, you know, was it more interesting than standing on the tarmac at two in the morning of a Melbourne winter or, <laughs> you know, pulling wheels off or changing toilet pumps? Yes, you know, I definitely think far, you know, thinking back, I was like, wow, this is cool. And so I started to do more work for sponsors and with that came along uh, some more events and I got involved in, uh, you know, working more, I guess, for some of those brands, uh, you know, brands like Fox and Globe and and Hyperlite and all these brands that I was involved with, um, I started to bring them over into into the wakeboard side of things. So what um, made you get into the wakeboard stuff? Well, wakeboarding was just something fun we'd do in the summer. I bought a boat with a mate and, you know, we uh, – and then another mate, he got involved. We went from a double to – there was three of us in it and we used to get up the river as much as we could and we'd drive up to a place called Bundalong. Uh, on the other side of uh, the Hume Highway uh, near a place called Yarrawonga and uh, on the Murray River and um, beautiful place Bundalong. It's like paradise. It's crazy now. It's, it'd be like looking at a photo of Corumban in the 50s yeah. to what it looks like now and Bundalong is like that. I mean, a block of land once was $10,000 on the river and me and a friend were like, oh, that's a lot of money, $10,000. <laughs> you know, now you couldn't buy a block. You can't buy a place up there probably for under a million dollars. Yeah. Um, so we would spend our as much of our summers as we could in, in when I was wasn't away. Um, you know, wakeboarding was just something fun. Uh, probably, you know, how I got into it was I went back over to the US to do one more one more tour, I suppose, of duty. And I spent a bit of time at the end of it in Florida. Uh, and I met a few wakeboarders over there. I guess you know, when they knew you snowboarded, I met a wakeboarder called Kobe Mikaskich, and he rode for a boat company called Tiger. 
and uh, they were made in Texas. And at the same time, there was a distributor that Darty worked for here in Australia, and they had a store on the Gold Coast. And uh, anyway, they started, Adam uh, Houlihan, his name was, he started bringing in these tiger boats into Australia. And I said to him, well, look, I've been doing lots of demo days and, and ride days for the last couple of years over summer. I've said, do you, do you want to help us out with a boat? And um, so we put a deal together and um, I sold the old gill flight and um, hopped into one of these tigers. So off we went and I thought, well, I better do it properly. So I formed a business and a company and I guess I got my ducks in a row and off I went. And, and you know, and that was really the start of it. So the first real official uh, start of the of the Just Ride Tour was really that, you know, summer 2000 and, um, you know, off we went and we kicked off pretty quickly um, and, you know, we went from five weekends and a couple of locations to spreading the word, I, I guess, with all these little water ski and wakeboard shops and just saying, hey, we'll do coaching, this is the fee, hey, we'll come along, you know, if you've got customers that want to learn to wakeboard, um, you know, we'll come and help you do that. And uh, and because demo days were a big thing, come and try the gear and then they buy the gear. So um, we would say to the store, you bring along all your gear and we'll bring along the boat, put on some demos and happy days. So we kind of went from um, doing five or six weekends to doing 10 to 12 to 15 and all of a sudden I was driving to Mackay in North Queensland. And by that demo days. You're doing demo days and coaching days. Yeah, and that was the ride tour. And then all of a sudden, you know, Malibu with a premium boat, they were the company to be with. And um, uh, I I ended up meeting the founder and the owner of Malibu uh, in the US and and also the guy here, Xavier West, who ended up becoming a great friend of mine. And Xavier had licensed Malibu here and he... He'd started building them and he had a factory. It was amazing. You know, he was building two boats a fortnight. Now, in the peak of things now, a few years ago, we were building 10 boats a week. So, yeah, it was amazing. So, you know, while all of that, while the tour is growing and all of this, I'm watching his business grow as well. and, uh, And the boats got so advanced and the technology became so exciting to be around. And wakeboarding just kind of started to leave snowboarding a little bit behind in my world. Um, I just enjoyed it. I found trying to run snow events was difficult. Um, insurance, mountains, all of those kind of things was hard. And, you know, to run the wakeboard tour was and, and to start the Just Ride tour was something that was really organic. I could just do it easily. The stores were loving it and, um, and off we went. So um, by 2001, I'd signed a deal with Malibu Boats and um, they became the partner and the official sponsor. And and by 04, I uh, left um, Qantas full-time and uh, did the tour for um, a couple of years, ended up um, in the seat at Malibu as as marketing manager uh, originally. I think Xavier... Uh, originally said to me, well, why don't we call it marketing and public relations? And I said, well, public (laughs) relations means you've got bad public relations. Um, But I think, you know, having that 20 years, um, you think back now, I mean, realistically, it was a great time to come from snow and just we tried to 
I always tried to just have some simple rules on the tour and and that was, you know, the first task of the day is just make your bed, um, you know, wherever we were because often we'd be staying at dealers' houses or, you know, people's houses because we, yeah. you know, that's how we got around the country and, you know, we'd always just make sure we were doing the little things right and, and, and really giving people a great experience on the water uh, and, and trying to teach them something was the was the main key driver and we really just started to see wakeboarding grow um, we started to see the business grow with Malibu uh, my role changed from marketing manager to sales and marketing manager um, I developed some good relationships and I guess good partnerships and mutual gain with the key stakeholders which were the which were the dealer principals across Australia um, I think that's what you know helped my career was being able to be under the under the the guidance of someone like Xavier West, who was the, the founder of the company. And so, is that where you learnt that? Because obviously, as an engineer, a lot of engineers yep. don't have any personalities or any any public relations. You know what I mean? Because they oh totally. Oh, you've only got to get your car so. doing shit. You know what I mean? Mm, Whereas, mm. Um, obviously, yeah, I guess I, I guess talk to people is massive. Yeah, well, I mean, it probably sums up my engineering, really, doesn't it? I probably wasn't that smart, <laughs> you know. Um, and when I and if I did compare myself to some of the guys that um, I went through training with, well, they were those smart guys, yeah. you know. Like I, I definitely struggled a lot in a lot of my training. I had to get a lot of tutors and a lot of extra help, and definitely to get through electronics and avionics, and uh, you know, trying to. Un- I always struggled understanding something I couldn't see. So when it came to hydraulics, um, skipping back to engineering, when it came to, to hydraulics, I could understand how that worked, yeah, you know, because yeah. you can see fluids move. Um, but when it comes to electrics and avionics and electronics, whew, that's a whole new level. <laughs> so those guys, they, they were the smart ones. We called them cone heads. Um, <laughs> that's probably a term they still don't like. But, and they're um, probably calling you the same with your dreadlocks. Grease monkeys, I think. That's all we got, grease monkeys. It wouldn't matter how smart you were. But I think my time at Malibu, having a technical skill set probably helped me at Malibu. I think, uh, you know, the owner of Malibu knew he could trust me with gear. If I could push a $40 million 737 onto the tarmac, well, I could definitely hook a boat up. And um, he knew I was a passionate boater. You know, he knew I loved boating. You know, it's not all about wakeboarding. I just love being out on the water in a boat. Um, You know, it didn't matter whether it was an $8,000 boat called Hangover. Uh, And then our second boat was called Crazy Horse. Um, because that you know that old those old school ski boats all had names. Yeah, I think, yeah of course. I, I think it's sad now. No one puts a name on their boat. If you if you see a name on their boat, it, it, people go, oh look at that, look at that guy, you know. And um, <laughs> but once upon a time they all had names, and the damn thing with it, you couldn't even get the name off because it had been painted on there and. <laughs> It was never coming off, so uh, I know plenty of times we thought about getting the, the name off poor old Crazy Horse, but that yellow gill flight, it, was, it, it, stayed, it stayed Crazy Horse for many years. I even sold it to my brother-in-law at the time. So, But, yeah, I mean, we had they were long days. I mean, you know, driving around the country, I think, um, you know, we worked out once. We'd average about 35,000 Ks a summer. Um, you know, we were working through about 20 to 25 riders a weekend and, um, you know, we'd spend a lot of time sleeping in caravans and, yeah, of um, course. 
you know, caravan parks because that's where we could park the boat and park the truck and, and be safe. But, yeah, you know, I used to laugh and say, you know, we weren't grey nomads, we were wake nomads. Um, <laughs> but but it was great. And I think working under someone like, you know, when it came back to your real job, um, I think on Monday morning or often Tuesday morning because we'd still be travelling on a Monday. But when you did sit down back in the office and, you know, you put on your your, your sales and marketing hat, um, then you would have a really good week and it would set you up again for the weekend of where you were going again, yeah. you know, and, and working under someone like Xavier West who was the guy that really, he was the CEO, he was the founder of the business, him and his wife Susie, they were just great people and, uh, you know, I ended up moving to Aubrey and, and building a life there. I even managed to get Miley down there, so a girl from the Sunshine Coast all the way to Aubrey. So Aubrey Wodonga. Uh, Aubrey Wodonga, and, I, you know, I can proudly say I did 10 years, uh, and I love it there, you know. I loved being back close to the mountains. It, um, you know, it definitely got my affiliation and relationship back with Falls Creek while I was there. It only yeah. took me it only took me one year and I was back, uh, you know, instructing up the mountain and <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Miley said, you're working all week and then you want to go up and teach kids to snowboard. But um, I guess I like, you know, that simple term of sharing the stoke, you know. Well, wow, definitely. Uh, and so what did you do? You lasted 10 Yes, yeah, so we did. Te- I, we did ten years in Aubrey, and um, I did we- one day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I went to university in Wagga for, oh. for a day, and then I uh, yeah, went back to the Central Coast. It was uh, yeah, there you go. It wasn't there you for go. me. <laughs> no, well, that's right. I mean, and it's and it's hard, you know. I I think it's probably I'm probably a rare beast because I am a bit of a bushy at heart. Um, even though I miss the coast and I miss surfing and I missed all those things, you would. You know, there's other things you can do there, and it's a beautiful part of the world. I mean, especially oh, while especially while the virus is on. I mean, um, you know, I was talking to talking to Tory Heaney, he had yeah, young Tory. He um, became one of uh, he became an intern. I started an intern program at Malibu, and um, Tory ended up graduating, and he's now a, you know the marketing coordinator for Malibu Boat. So it's great to see. That's I still, awesome. I still talk with Tory a lot because I still do um, you know a bit of consultancy work for Malibu, and I'm still involved in the brand. And I was talking to him yesterday, and he said you know he feels that Aubrey's been really insulated. Um, you know, from from yeah, the virus and everything that's out there. I asked him if anyone he'd known had lost his job. He said no. Um, oh, wow. So I think that's great because I think, yeah, as you know, you know, if you're up here on the Gold Coast in sunny Queensland paradise, well, we, we all know plenty of people that have. And, um, oh, yeah, it's, and still going to, mate. It's going to get worse. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, you got to keep it positive. But, um, but yeah, they, it was, they were great times and, um, and I I think to get through some big changes in the industry, we went through the GFC. Um, I went through the family, uh, the West family selling the business to Malibu, United States. Um, so being part of the due diligence and, and and going through a public company at that stage, then buying Malibu boats here, um, that was a really uh, big career move. And, you know, we definitely developed a, a great market share for Malibu boats here in Australia and um, we had 80 percent of the market. Eighty, um, wow, that's massive. Yeah, yeah, but I think and then that was all due to I guess the due diligence of the market. Yeah, of course. We, we always 
had our finger on the pulse. And the most important thing is the boats are second to none and they were built beautifully. Um, and if you've got a product like that uh, to sell and market, well, really, the rest of your day is pretty easy. I used to say to someone, um, you know, really the collaboration with, with a lot of other companies and building partnerships and keeping the tour going and, and having all of those wonderful sides of their job um, you know, there was also the other side of the job too. And, you know, you did a lot of boat shows. Um, they became very, you know, long days, you know, 12 or 14 day, 12 or 14 hour days um, by the time you set up, bump in and, you know, those that trade show type environment, um, which the boat, the, the marine business lives on. Um, yeah, there's, a, sure. there's a boat show in every capital city and, um, you know, as you would know, and, yeah, but I mean, it's a great industry, and um, yeah, I, I certainly, uh, I certainly feel very blessed to have, you know, been able to be a part of that story as well. Because you know, it's like you know, the snowboarding story had grown, and I'd watched that evolve, and then all of a sudden, I got into the wakeboard sector, and I was able to watch that that grow on the weekends. But then, for an industry, I was able to watch the boat manufacturing grow. Yeah. Um, you know, and in the peak, uh, in the peak, um, 410 boats a year um, was the peak of Malibu. Um, that was in 2007, 2008. So right. it's amazing to think of the economy, you know, was that busy back then, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. And as you say, times change. So 2018, you left Malibu. And what did yeah. you, you go and do? Well, we kind of came back. So, I mean, with all of that going on, uh, Miley and I got married. Yeah. Um, did and, you get down uh, on one knee? Uh, did I get down on one knee? No. Uh, no well, you, you know what I did? We were up here on holidays at Corumban, which is a is a very special place for us. And um, we, I said to Miley, uh, there were mates of mine in the car park and they're going, are you coming out for a surf, Thorpe? And I said, no, just go away. You know, <laughs> and I was trying to get Miley to walk out on the rock wall, you know, along, yeah, along yeah. At, the, at the point. And um, Miley was looking at me going like, what, what, what do you, why do you want to do that? Because she, Miley obviously is a very keen surfer, so she just wanted to get out there because <laughs> it was pretty good. And uh, and I ended up going, oh, just funny. So she kind of just came over to the edge there under the pandanus where the, where the surf, learn to surf band is now and I kind of just sat there I said oh do you want to sit down and watch it for a while and I think she was just like why is he being so weird <laughs> um and in the end I I um yeah just sat near her and asked her and, and yeah yeah it was a nice day I think we spent the rest of the day on the on the uh on the mobile phones just telling everyone because I don't think anyone ever thought I would do it um <laughs> and then you know a year later um yeah we got married up at Miley's uh, I guess hometown up on the Sunshine Coast and uh from that that point um uh, with with a family there nothing big but just all the family and mum and dads and and friends and uh you know it was a moderate wedding I think 100 people that was enough I'm still paying for it <laughs> and um, yeah, after that, uh, we we decided that we wanted to have a family, and uh, yeah, Evie came along. She's four now. She's a she's a little terror. She's on the snow skis, um, and she's having a little wakeboard, and she she likes her surfing, and she lets me push her onto waves if it's a good day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She uh, not a big fan of a wetsuit though. 
um, tells everyone proudly she was born in Wodonga and the, <laughs> and, the, and the cold doesn't bother her anyway, she sings. So, um, yeah. And so, yeah, the girls are good. They're a big part of my life. And, you know, Miley obviously keeps me pretty grounded and she's a teacher over at Banoa. Um, and, uh, yeah, she, she helps us, you know, keeps me living the life I suppose I've grown accustomed to um you know which is being outside she never stops us from doing that and the girls are always outside down the beach or we try to get out in the boat when we can obviously it's been a a, a really weird few months um not being able to to go and do those things like get out in the boat and you really do realize um how lucky we are to just you know be able to go and exercise um, it's amazing, and, isn't it? And have a surf or go for a walk on the beach. When I think about friends in cities and places like that, we're very blessed to be able to live here on the Gold Coast. And and that was always our dream, I think, to be able to, you know, move back here and, and have the girls, um, you know, grow up somewhere where they would have all of the opportunities, I yeah. suppose. Um, you know, more than likely, Miley and I laugh and say, oh, Evie will probably want to move back to Wodonga because um, she loves the snow. And back to she, her roots. Yeah, back to her roots. But, um, hey, I never wanted to move back to Tennant Creek. So, um, you know, but, hey, who knows Who knows what will happen. But, yeah, I mean, mate, I'm just – I'm at the point now where, um, yeah, I've wrapped up everything with Malibu and I'm definitely uh, – yeah, I've been doing some different – just some different light rolls up here in sales and marketing. And um, I'm definitely, I suppose I'm at that point where I'm up for the next challenge, you know, yeah, so, definitely, mate. so uh, that's where I'm at. So it's an exciting time of life. I think in a, in a bad time of uh, we're in, um, I think you've just got to remain positive, you know, I mean. You just got to make the best of where we are and what we're doing, mate. That's all that's all about. Yeah, totally, totally. And I mean, um, I think, you know, I've been lucky. I've been able to invent a couple of things and watch them grow uh, yeah. and also to be a part of um, some other people's stories that, that, that they'd started things like like Malibu boats. I mean, you That's know, you could, cool, isn't it? yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, you could pull that story apart. It's an amazing story how Xavier, you know, wrote a hand letter, uh, you know, to Bob Alkema all the way to California, you know, saying, oh, he, he liked his boats and could he meet him? He'd love to build his boats in Australia. I mean, most people don't even know that story. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm going through some old things in my office today and I, and I just found the first, the first flyer that I did for, um, for the Just Ride Tour was in, uh, two, was in 2000, 24th of February, 2000. Look at it. You know, and it's and it's actually I don't know if you can see that, yeah. but it's but it's actually got the fax number on the top, and it was sent <laughs> from Skiers Edge in Ringwood, you know, which is Wayne Ritchie's stores down there. And um, the fact uh, that's twenty years ago, but it's twenty years ago. Um, you know <laughs> that I've got yeah, yeah. You know, so you can you can do some cool things in life if you definitely uh, if you just start your day off and make your bed. You know, yeah, well, it's, great. it's a great thing to teach kids. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how I'm gonna. Yeah, good luck with that. I got four of them, so. Wow. Um, yeah, they're getting a bit older than yours, but uh, mate, it's a hard thing to teach them. Okay, oh. I got a couple of questions for you. Yeah, mate, give them to me. Okay, here we go. I've got a 12-year-old David Thorpe. Am I skating, snowboarding, wakeboarding, or surfing? 
Uh, I was predominantly uh, skateboarding then and um, and was pretty strongly wrapped up on my dirt bike. You know, okay. yeah, I was right into that. I was uh, right into that. I think. What about I, at twenty? For at twenty, yeah, things started to um, break into groups of weekends. I think I just once I'd left home and and had a bit of money, I was like, I always marked my diary. My dad, being a teacher, taught me to use a diary. Anyone who knows me will tell you my <laughs> diary either has green in it or yellow and green always meant go um so at 20 my diary was broken up even then to go right that weekend we're going to the snow the weekend after we'll go surf yeah that then the next weekend we might be in melbourne like who knows we you know it, it was, was just it was non-stop like it was just what can we do but summertime came around once me and my my good friend jason hicks bought a boat well that was it for us we we just thought that was the best thing in the world and what else could you do really um was to get out of melbourne and put 50 dollars of fuel in a boat and just go and have the best time of your life so looking back now what's yeah. what's been your favorite sport let's call it whether it's surfing skating snowboarding or wakeboarding Look, I think when you've done anything competitively, I think it's always going to get a little bit tired, you know, when, you, yeah. when you've done it competitively. I think anyone, whether you've been a footballer or a cricketer or a tennis player or a swimmer, um, I, I think you're going to get a bit tired of it. And I certainly never got tired of snowboarding. I still love to go. I mean, it's bad at the moment. We couldn't go to Japan. We couldn't go anywhere. Um, yeah. So, And we're looking at probably down the barrel of I don't even know whether there'll be a snow season. So whenever we're – I can't even think in my life whether it has never been a snow, snow season. You know, imagine if there's all that snow up there and no and one can so much of it at the moment. Yeah, and, and no one can ride it. Oh. Um, so, like, I've got everything crossed that hopefully in the next month or so, you know, things could settle down. But, yeah, I mean, as far as something that is just as simple and easy to do, uh, and I'm talking, you know, grab your thermos and a sandwich and go and have a surf, like being in the ocean has got to be one of the most simple forms of, of outlet you could ever have, you know, and that probably equals riding a skateboard. But I think what happens is as you get older, um, when you land on concrete in your 40s, <laughs> it really hurts. You don't bounce anymore, do you? You literally do <laughs> not bounce. And, um, I mean, as much as I love skateboarding and going having a little quiet sneak to Pizzy Park here at Eleanora, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would be the oldest guy to kind of roll around there. But, um, man, when you hit the and, – and you just kind of don't know when you get up into these – I get, when you get up into these roles and someone says, oh, you know, what do you do for a living? And someone says, oh, you know, you're director of sales and marketing. And, oh, how did you break your wrist? Oh, I was at Pizzy Park <laughs> skateboarding on the weekend. Well, they just kind of look at you and go, right, okay. Um, so I don't know. So skateboarding is something I just look at. I look at in envy uh, as I watch my four-year-old skate around the court and yeah. I have a bit of a role with her. But, yeah, probably surfing is just easy. It's not – it's just a great to get out there, 
to talk to the old boys in the car park and swap a few stories and have a bit of banter out there in the lineup. And we really look forward to it as a family. And, you know, and then I, I think sport wise, yeah, that that's it. Is surfing a sport? I don't think so. It's just an art form. I mean, you know, getting out in the boat, that's, that's probably just, one of the best days you'll have with your friends yeah. um, getting out there on the Tweed River at Tumbulgum is where we go or Tumblegum, I used to call it. Tumblegum. Yeah, love being a good, the, uh, good spot. Yeah, yeah, being the Victorian, I'd be like, yeah, we're going to go to that Tumblegum. They're like, <laughs> oh, it's actually Tumbulgum. I'm like, oh, right. You know, now I'm getting, you know, elocution lessons from you can't, someone. You can't take the Victorian out of you though, can you? No, nah, that's all right. I mean, it is it is Tumbulgum. But, yeah, this part of the world, I mean, far out, this, it's an amazing place so I mean you can surf in the morning and you know go and drop the boat in in the afternoon and go for a wakeboard so it's a <laughs> it's a pretty nice part of the world to live but yeah. so there's a question I forgot to ask you at the start Who oh yeah yeah 40? oh well there is only one team like we could, this could have been a really short podcast if you had yeah I know uh, the, <laughs> no the mighty bombers thanks to uh, my grand thanks to my grandma right. I'll forgive that one yeah I know what about yourself I'm a Swannies say- fan mate yeah. Uh, that's a manly jersey behind me. That is a manly jersey, yeah, right. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a Swannies fan. And, uh, yeah, being used, an old Central Coast boy. Uh, I used to play for the Bombers, like Clarnival Bombers, not the Essendon Bombers, but uh, I used to yep. coach Mark McVeigh when he was a kid. Wow. So, yeah, the McVeigh boys, are from our local club. and uh, Yeah, right. Yeah, so I got a soft spot for the Bombers. For, for the Bombers, yeah. yeah. As long, oh, long as you didn't say Collingwood, we're good. No, well, no one likes Sam. I mean, no, exactly. people, I mean, even Victorians don't like Collingwood. <laughs> I don't even know who barracks for Collingwood, really. I mean, You're I certainly, I wouldn't live there. when you had no teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I had a mate, actually, who, who bought a little apartment in Collingwood once and, and I, would, I needed somewhere to stay and um, I think I was hiding from a girlfriend at the time or something and I was like, oh, no, I can't stay there. That's Collingwood, you know. I couldn't even stay there. You know, I, I gave him, I gave him issues, gave him issues. Um, but yeah, <laughs> oh, mate, no, no, but it's been a good road, mate. So that's good. So, what's your, uh, what's your greatest achievement in life? Oh, I think having two beautiful girls um, called Evie and Aura. You're a dad. I, I just 100%. don't, I just don't think there's anything really like that. Um, and I was a late bloomer, mate, I'll tell you, Brett. I I just looked at a lot of my friends who had kids and went, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. Good That's Good on you. What would you, you do that for? Good on you. What the, I don't know why you did that. Um, but when it happened to me, thanks to my beautiful wife, I um, yeah, you just look at them and it's it's just amazing. So I, I think that they're they're my, my they're my greatest achievement personally. Um, I think it's nice to have been at the forefront and at ground zero for, for snowboarding. Um, yeah. And I think it was nice to be able to, you know, move into wakeboarding and, and be a part of that. I think if you can invent or come up with something new in life, um, you know, I always say to people, you know, if I do a bit of talking or, or go and speak, um, you know, do some keynote speaking, I always say to someone, don't be afraid to try an idea, you know, because um, so many people don't. Uh, there's two types of people in the world. There's doers and there's gunners. There's people that are going to do this and going to do that and never do anything. And then there's the doer who just has a crack at life. And that's what it's all about. Totally, totally. I mean, imagine the first guy that, um, 
you know, started a podcast or, you know, even probably you know yourself when you said, oh, I'm going to do a podcast, I'm sure there was someone there that went, what? Yeah, what why the fuck are you, you doing that for? <laughs> why are you going to do that, Dad? Yeah, exactly. It's quite funny you said before when you're sitting in the uh, talking to the old boys in the uh, the car park at the, when you're surfing and stuff. Yeah. And you actually realise that you're one of the old boys. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. How is that? I know. And and it's bad because now I always think, well, all the all the curry I've given some of the old boys in the surf <laughs> now, you know, and I, I, I'm pretty – you know, I can be a bit cheeky and um, out there and, uh, oh, yeah, when you get a young guy, say, oh, you know, used an old bastard anyway, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, definitely that time has come. So um, now I just try to think, well, my daughters will be out here in a few years. So. Yeah, exactly. But, no, those, those – Yeah, and I, and I think, um, you know, those – those friendships you you develop out there. I mean, there's a lot of lonely people um, in the world, and you don't know, uh, you know, what's happened to them. You don't know if the black dogs got them, and you don't know, you know. I've had I've lost friends along the way, and hundred oh, percent, um, mate. And I think it's it's you, there's only one thing in life you can control, and that's your uh, that's your attitude. And yep. if you have a good one, um, then I think you'll always be able to have a good day. Um, uh, and um, if you can say good day to someone, or you know, say say hello to them, ask them how they're doing. I think that's one of the the biggest things in business that I learnt was um, just to make sure that you give someone a good experience. Um, and that doesn't matter whether you own a milk bar or um, you know you're selling two hundred thousand dollar boats. Um, yeah, no, hundred percent, mate. And it's the same. Just be nice. Why yeah. We, we live by a philosophy in, the, in our family, and I teach my kids this from a young age, is don't be a dick. Mm. <laughs> it's simple as that. Just yeah. don't be a dick. And my kids know the rules. Just don't be a dick, right? Yeah, yeah. You're, just be nice. All you got to do is be nice to each other, be nice to everyone. Yeah, well, and it's like, isn't it like my grandmother used to say, uh, if you can't say anything, if you can't say anything nice about someone, just don't say it at all. Oh, it's uh, so true. And, and a lot, a lot can be, a lot of people could learn. From that, but um, you know, mate, I think it's it's um, you just got to make sure your own your own standard is high, um, and uh, if you can if you can live up to your own expectations, then they're the best expectations, and hopefully you have someone. Hope you have plenty of people around you. Uh, I know I do that um, keep you humble. Oh yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> you know, whether it's uh, whether it's a good boss or uh, or it's a cousin Stuart or it's a good old mate Hixie or um, you know all these people you have in your life, it really wouldn't matter what you've done, uh, and they would go, oh yeah, well. Whatever, mate. You know, <laughs> like, who cares? Exactly. Um, you know, but, and, but that, and underneath that, it, you know, they're loving it, and they. Oh and well, they, yeah, that's and right. And that's yeah. the thing. Well, the way I always love doing my podcast is with some quick fire questions. So, are you ready? Yeah, go for it. Make them but, quick, though. Favorite food? At- anything Italian. Favorite song? Uh, ooh, the Eagles, Hotel California. Favorite place in the world? Corumban. Oh, big call. What's next for David Thorpe? Long as it's challenging and it's something I can be passionate about, we'll bring it on. Mate, I've loved this conversation. I really (laughs) appreciate it. As far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for joining me today, buddy. 
Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Great to uh, great to be on your podcast, and uh, it meant a lot to me. So, um, yeah, stay humble and keep those humble around you, and make sure you make your bed. Yes, always. My make best your saying bed. ever. Always make your bed <laughs> and respect your mum. What an amazing human! Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcast, and I really hope that you enjoyed awesome humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels as well as BJ Macker uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.